sponsored by Trezor Wallet. Check out the link in the description. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really excited to have a chance to chat. Starting with the cliche question, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. So, what are what what are you experiences, life experiences that have brought you um, uh, to where you are right now at Helium? And yeah, so I joined um, Helium uh, uh, a little bit. Actually, a relatively new member of the team. Um, to we're a team of uh, just about forty people um, across engineering, product, you know, design, uh, BD, uh, and sort of all, all all the different parts of the company. Um, we uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, we're a blockchain company that's uh, just focused on um, uh, building a low power wireless network. And you know, why I came to the team is kind of interesting. I um, I'm friends with one of the folks on the team, uh, Mark Phillips, who's our head of BD, and sure we've been friends for um, probably over a decade by now. Um, and uh, you know, three years ago, he mentioned that he was working on this, you know, at this company called Helium. Um, and so I sort of got into it, into it back then. And then about two years ago, he said, "Hey, do you want to buy these hotspot things um, that we uh, that we have? Um, they'll uh, they'll mine this cryptocurrency." You know, at the time, I was like, ah, this is this is one of Mark's things, like whatever. Um, but uh, you know, of course, I, I did because I wanted to support um, something that he was working on, and so I bought five hotspots um, and I put it in different places. Um, you know, one at my house um, and a few at a, at a different uh, different places around San Francisco uh, at friends' houses. And so yeah, so we uh, so did that and realized that I needed a way to manage these things, um, and so I built an app. Uh, because I'm an engineer and I like building things. Um, so I built an app called Mylar and um, it was a tool that allowed to manage um, these hotspots, understand the earnings, see how they're doing from, uh, you know, week over week, month over month and, and try to make changes to it to try to improve the earnings. And so that's, that was my like introduction into Helium. Um, so I joined the Slack channels. I um, sort of built this app. I shared it with a lot of people at some point. I think over 50% of the network is using this app, Mylar. It's actually still up and maybe I think around 40% of the network is actually still using it. And, you know, now it's uh, the network is um, uh, about 20,000 hotspots deployed globally. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so I, you know, it was a free app that I built um, for myself and then I thought it would be useful for other people. So I uh, allowed everyone to use it. So that's kind of how I came to Helium. Um, you know, my background's um, mostly in startups. Um, uh, I've sort of been through uh, every version of the startup that you can have, you know, company going under because it runs out of funding, uh, selling a company um, because we ran out of funding, uh, uh, starting a few companies, um, uh, getting acquired, um, uh, an early company uh, that I was a part of got acquired by Microsoft and, uh, and then taking a company to IPO. I was at Square for about six years um, and uh, I was there sort of as an early engineer and, and was there all the way through the IPO. Yeah, so uh, all the sorts of uh, things that that you do in, in startups in San Francisco. That's great. I, I think then you are the perfect uh, candidate to ask about token economics, which which I'm going to ask <laughs> later on. Sure. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, Abi, uh, this is more of a like a high level question about you know um, Helium tagline, which is it's a people's people's powered network. Uh, can you uh, explain a little bit more about it in detail? Yeah, for sure. So you know, you're, so we have this blockchain that allows you to be uh, incentivized to actually build out this network. So you know, you have a Helium hotspot that is in your house. Um, and then why do you do that? You want to provide coverage for these low power devices. 
Um, but you're an individual and, you know, it's hard for a company to now find you specifically and pay you for it. So the network as a whole has to, um, has to pay you for that. Um, so, you know, people powered networks for us is, you know, we are enabling anyone, you know, so the sort of grandmother all the way to the crypto native, um, to be able to deploy a, a hotspot like a, like a helium hotspot, um, on this blockchain, um, and get, and, and get earnings for it. Gotcha. So uh, the, when you say hotspots um, and just for the folks out there, so this is, these are uh, hardware devices. I'm believing these are the um, LoRo uh, devices, uh, you know, enabled devices. Sure. Yeah. So, so what these hotspots provide is um, they, as you said, it, it um, provides um, LoRoN coverage. So LoRoN is um, a low powered uh, wide area network was invented by a French company. I'm forgetting the name right now, um, but they were eventually acquired by Semtech. Um, and so, you know, LoRaWAN is, um, uh, we can, it's sort of a chirp based protocol. So it like sort of broadcasts. Um, um, so yes, so it's a, it's a chirp based protocol. Um, and it runs on, you know, sort of license free, uh, sub gigahertz radio frequency. So like, you know, in the United States, uh, it's, um, you know, 915 megahertz. Um, in the EU, it's um, 868. Um, in, in Southeast Asia, you, you see 923. Um, and, and since this is like a podcast focus for India, India is 865, right? So, um, and so, you know, these are um, licensed radio networks, so like anyone can use it. Um, it's, um, and so uh, you can sort of have your own radio frequency transmissions in that network. And it's kind of similar in the, you know, in the United States, um, you know, when I was growing up in uh, we, you know, you had, uh, uh, wireless phones or you had um, cordless phones in the house. Um, and that's running on a similar, you know, stub G, uh, radio frequency. And, and so these, these, uh, so this network allows you to do sort of long range transmissions with super low power, right? So these hotspots themselves, they only use about five blocks of energy. So about a light bulb, uh, like a typical light bulb. Um, and uh, you have sensors that also use a very, very little amount of energy um, to do these transmissions. And, you know, you can have like a watch battery inside this thing, and they can last for many, many months without charging. And that's that's really the um, the sort of advantage of using a system like this, where you have super, super cheap electronics, um, so you don't have to use Wi-Fi or 5G or any of those things. Um, and um, you have super, super cheap data transmission. Um, and so a combination of all those things give you this like access to really, really democratize um, sending data over, you know, an IoT network. And, you know, from, for us, like we sort of think of this IoT network as product number one, um, because like the underlying, the underlying blockchain itself is agnostic to the kind of data that you want to send over a network like this. You know, yes, we've implemented this IoT network. You could imagine, you know, this working for this kind of sort of incentive model, working for a 5G network or a Wi-Fi network or sort of any other kind of network that a wireless network. So very low power devices, you know, you don't have any additional electricity costs. Like you don't, you're not running a Bitcoin full node or like, you know, <laughs> I, uh, these are low power devices. Uh, so, sure. and so what is the bandwidth like for these? So they, they, uh, I'm, I'm just guessing they're not low latency, but they are uh, probably decent bandwidth, but high latency. Yeah, from a you know from a bandwidth perspective, it really depends on you know, the the packet size um, and and sort of what you're trying to transfer. So you're not going to be using LoRaWAN for doing video streaming, for example. We're not going to be on you know we're not going to be on Zoom on LoRaWAN, for example. Um, you know these are really for like GPS sensors and soil sensors and 
um, door sensors, a security system potentially. Um, those are the kinds of things that you'd be expecting to use on this kind of network. You know, really relevant for the industrial setting, um, agricultural setting. But like, you know, I have a I have a small little like uh, calling it a garden is maybe giving it too much credit. But like, I have, I have a couple of plants outside, and I have soil sensors in there, and I can see at any time the nitrogen levels, and you know, how, like, are they getting enough water and, and things like that. And I and you know, I live in San Francisco. It gets pretty cold at night, so I can see how cold it gets at night. Um, so that's a pretty uh, a good use case of uh, something that can use a, a helium powered network or any other example, just, uh, you know, on the high level. I think I was looking at some of the projects that are being done on helium. So I was trying to get an idea of what, what, do you, what, do you, what can be built on top. So any, any other um, kind of use case that stands out for you? It's been really incredible um, how many kinds of things people have made. I know that we had, we have like hackathons like that occasionally and you know i think two really awesome projects that i remember um, uh, and then i can talk about some commercial use cases as well but two really awesome just like diy projects that i saw um one was um someone built a chicken coop and uh, sent sort of, uh, it was a it was a lower end connected chicken coop really cool. oh, okay <laughs> um and you know the door opened at the right time and the, you know when the chicken ar- you know arrived at the door it was opening automatically you don't want to open from the outside you want to open from the inside so that was kind of cool um, interesting the same maker, um, this is a, this is a, a guy named Joey who lives in Oakland. Um, he, he also, um, made a really cool sensor for a local coffee shop. And essentially what it was is that, um, it was a depth sensor, uh, for, uh, this big drum that they used to put all their roasted beans in. And so what it would do is as the, uh, amount of beans decreased, that, uh, that sort of distance sensor, uh, had a long, longer reading, which makes sense. And sort of when it got to the all the way to the bottom, uh, the, uh, the the coffee maker would note thing to go roast some more beets. So it was like a really good like it was a trash can lid, and there was a sensor on the inside of it, and they discovered it. it was really really small. So really small things like that, like awesome little you know amazing DIY projects like that. Um, you know at scale, you need to think about um, uh, folks doing temperature sensing or water leak sensing. You know water leaks are uh, one of the biggest. Uh, costs for you know massive residential and multifamily residential buildings, um, and so being able to address a water leak early on can can mean you know so substantial cost savings for for uh, for an owner of a multifamily. Um, so something like that at scale is is super useful. Um, uh, GPS sensing for asset tracking, you know, again, is super useful. Um, so yeah, so those are those are some of the more commercial use cases, and and yeah, as you mentioned, we have a. Uh, a lot of these um, listed on our website, um, on Helium's website. Yeah, I mean, GPS tracking alone is a huge asset tracking. I, I did. I used to work for a company startup. Um, I wouldn't name them, but they their whole thing was like uh, GPS tracking in in the you know trucking industry. So you know that's uh, uh, you know so so there's a lot of IoT. Um, data being generated there, you know, that, that IoT devices can capture. I, sure. That's quite interesting. I think you have Salesforce as your client too. Uh, is it, so on the enterprise level, is it, uh, uh, you guys are like implementing something like a supply chain sort of thing or like, uh, are you in, in liberty to talk a little about it or? Uh, yeah, the, the Salesforce thing, I can't speak too deeply okay. about it, but. Okay, um, that's yeah, fine. Not sure. You know, I can talk about some other stuff. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So the Helium blockchain uses something called proof of coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, can you uh, tell me how the inner workings of that and... For sure. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can sort of start at the highest level, which is, you know, there are 
different kinds of participants on the Helium network, right? And so um, the ones that get rewarded um, today are, um, you know, uh, at a high level, like we, we obviously want to reward those who are transferring data. Um, there aren't a lot of those right now, right? And, you know, as you bootstrap a network, you want to sort of create the coverage. And once the coverage is there, you start to have more data usage, right? So um, in order to do that, we needed to sort of incentivize um, rollout of coverage. And, and so we, we invented this idea called proof of coverage. And a proof of coverage is um, sort of expecting a couple of different things. One, you know, you have a hotspot and you're asserting your location and you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm in this corner in, um, in, in San Francisco. Now, if uh, from there you, uh, you then um, need to verify that in some way, right? Because you could be lying about your, your GPS location or you could be, um, you know, messing around with your radio signals or, or whatever, what have you, you know, on the, on the data transfer side, we don't care, right? We, if you transfer a packet, you should get paid for it. Uh, but if you're sort of asserting your location, we should figure out a way to, to, to verify that. So we you know, invented this proof of coverage system. And the idea is that there is another participant somewhere in the network that says, hey, you hotspot, tell me where you are or tell the network where you are, really. Um, and then all of that, uh, that hotspot's neighbors will say, I, I saw you. Thank you so much. And here's this information. And what essentially happens is the challenger sort of creates a challenge. The challengee, or you know, sometimes called the beaconer, will send out a beacon, and this is another LoRaWAN like packet, and it just sort of broadcasts it. Um, and then a series of witnesses that are in the area will say, "I heard it," and each one of those participants will essentially sign this and send it to the chain. Um, and um, specifically, what happens is that the challengee and the witness both sign that packet and send it to the challenger, and now the challenger can um, sort of verify that it's coming. That yeah, this was a packet that I asked to be sent. Um, these particular participants um, signed it correctly. I'm going to put it together and I'm going to sign it. And I'm going to put it on chain. Um, so those are sort of the different participants. And we, we reward each one of these participants. We reward the challenger. Um, not much because all they're doing is essentially generating a challenge. We reward the challengee, the beaconer. Um, again, not as much as the last participant, which is the witness who's really, really verifying. Right? They're the ones that are saying, I heard this. Here's what it is. I'm going to sign this. And I'm going to sort of write this to the chain. So those are the sort of the different participants, and each one of them um, get get uh, compensated. Got it. So, so the recipient um, who receives the challenges is there. That that happens. Uh, I'm guessing uh, randomly, uh, programmatically. You know, um, uh, sort of like a lotto system or like a lottery based system. Which yeah, know, it's uh, it's um, it's supposed to be probabilistic, right? Like it, we're not. Uh, it's not exactly a lottery. It's um, it's supposed to be you know, sort of evenly distributed across the entire network. Um, essentially, you know, in order to be challenged, you need to be keeping up with the chain. So each one of these hotspots today ha- are a full blockchain node, and so they need to be keeping up with the chain um, so that they can uh, they can sign that transaction, uh, or, you know, at the right block height. Uh, so that's uh, that's a limitation of our current system, and it's something that we're actually do want to improve and happy to talk about those improvements also. Um, um, and so, yeah, so today, um, you know, on average, a hotspot will be challenged every 240 blocks or so. And we target about a minute um, block time. Is there a minimum uh, witness requirement for, uh, for, you know, signature to happen or is it, I was thinking is if, minimum number of witnesses required or based on the coverage if there is say people on in an area where there's less coverage uh, 
what would be the minimum requirement then? Uh, or, that's a, that's a great question. Right? Yeah, we, okay. we, yeah, we don't have a specific witness limit um, on the on the low end. Like one witness means great. That's that's a verified challenge. Um, but we do target a specific number, right? So we're looking for a certain amount of density in an area. So you know if um, you know, and then if it goes kind of over that amount, we actually start to scale down rewards, right? Like if you have, um, and then we also, you know, sort of, we have a couple of different methods to figure out whether or not the witness is valid, right? Like if it's too close, we kind of ignore it. We just say this is just an invalid witness. We're not going to reward it. Um, but other witnesses are, you know, are considered valid. Um, we also, um, you know, have kind of a, a, high, a hard cap on 25 witnesses at the absolute maximum, which you know, for some of the hotspots in really dense areas like New York or, or San Francisco, you know, they hit that cap constantly, right? There, there are just so many hotspots in the area. And, you know, as you know, as, as you sort of mentioned, these are like low power, long range transmissions. So, you know, you could have a two kilometer away hotspot. So, yeah, because their range is pretty uh, long, like, right? The, you know, low row still has a, I think they just recently tested, I think it was, couple of miles so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some like crazy 11 kilometer like long shots like which is just absolutely incredible and i yeah. think you, know, you need to have like your air like the humidity has to be perfect and it has to be a clear line of sight and you can just go miles and miles away um it's, right. it's really quite incredible like you know what you can do with very very small packet sizes and, and sort of chirp like um protocol i think you we went into proof of coverage um and I think the next question also gets answered, uh, like how the challenge happens and how the targets are selected. I think you, and witnesses roles, I think you, I think, uh, kill three questions with one, <laughs> one answer. Yeah, I so. mean, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a holistic right. uh, problem that we have to solve, right? I think it's, yes. um, I think proof of coverage is, and, and I actually spent a ton of my time on proof of coverage, you know, it is. Um, it is the largest recipient of rewards on the network today. Right? 60% of all rewards go to proof of coverage. Um, and so, and you know, that, that'll be the case, um, until there is sufficient data transfer on the network. Right? So we want to make sure that, you know, one, it's working, right? It's, it's doing its job, which is to really verify coverage. And two, um, folks who are, uh, you know, doing the right thing are rewarded for it. Right. We really want to make sure that's the case. So is there any, um, so what are the security assumptions for this? Yeah. So some of the assumptions that we make is that one, you know, you are actually where you say you are. Right. Um, and, you know, we try to verify it, but obviously there are ways to, to, um, to get around this. And, and one of our, one of our, one of our jobs as a team is to try to continue to fight, um, gaming that might, might occur. You know, I think this is one of the, um, kind of unique things about our network, which is we bridge the physical and the digital. Um, sort of worlds, right? Um, you know, and if you're Bitcoin mining or Ethereum mining, you're sort of like, you know, you are uh, rolling a dice and you're very consistently rolling a dice every single, you know, epic essentially, or every single block, you're, you're sort of hoping to get that number, like you're trying to hit that magic number, right? Um, and, you know, we, uh, although like, that's interesting and, you know, that has a lot of value um, you know, for us, the thing that really has value is, are you a radio and can you listen to radios around you? you know, Oracle problems that other, other systems have to deal with, um, because we really have like this sort of or fundamental Oracle problem that we, 
um, that we need to sort of manage. Um, and so, yeah, so you know, bridging that physical is, is some physical to the digital is something that we you know we work on all the time. And some of the other security assumptions, you know, we assume that the key on the miner is secure, right? So um, there's a there's a hardware encryption key. Um, it's sitting on an ECC chip um, that's on the device. And so, you know, one of the things we recently stopped making our own hardware, um, which is uh, something that you know we were a we were a bottleneck for the network for for the for the network growth. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we decided to do is just say, okay, manufacturers come and make hardware for us. You guys are way better at this than we are. And so, we have you know five manufacturers already on board, um, and you know, looking at at least two more that I know of, like are like right. right you know, really close to being ready. And then, you know, four or five are, you know, this year probably. You know, my right now we, we just crossed 20,000 nodes in the network. And I think it would be 200,000 if it wasn't actually like our fault. It's, it is our fault that we're not at 200,000 nodes um, because we just aren't able to build the miners fast enough. And so I'm really excited with all these nodes out there and all these, uh, all these, um, Hardware manufacturers are sort of following our design around having a secure element. Um, the miner's keys um, can't be pulled off the ECC after it's written, um, and it's uh, it's used for signing, right? And that's that's one of the assumptions that we that we have today. I'd love to remove that requirement, um, but right now, given how much um, you could uh, earn for POC. Um, it's very, very like lucrative to try to virtualize this, right? It's very, very, it would be very lucrative to try to virtualize the hardware, the radio, just sort of everything. As long as you could pull off that magic key, like you could, you could do whatever you want. You can place a hotspot in Antarctica. <laughs> Users, uh, can they somehow uh, uh, use their existing devices or not yet? Right. Like they cannot convert it into somehow, um, you know, something that that they can use in, or be participant in uh, helium helium network. Yeah. So uh, we don't allow um, miners to sort of bring their own hardware at this point. Um, we, we had a small little program where we tried that. And we did that for about a few, about 100 um, DIY miners, essentially. Like, can you take off the shelf LoRaWAN equipment and put it together and turn it into a miner? So we, so we did that. And, you know, one of the things that we almost immediately found is that like, yeah, this allows anyone to virtualize. So we unfortunately had to stop that program. Um, you know, they're, they're still on the network and, you know, we know who they are and we trust them and the network trusts them. And it's also a hundred miners. So, you know, in the worst case scenario, they can't really, if any of them decided to sort of change their mind and do things, um, uh, sort of that were antithetical to the network, you know, we, we would know about them. So, yeah. So, you know, uh, for now, um, you know, you have to buy hardware from these manufacturers. And, you know, one of our goals is to work with these manufacturers to continue to reduce the cost of these things, right? They're, um, you know, we'd love to have a $50 helium hotspot. That would be amazing for us. And then we, we want to get there. And, and the way to do that is um, actually to re- reduce some of the hardware requirements, right? So right now, why is a Raspberry Pi, um, you know, the, the most common uh, piece of hardware on these things? Um, it's because it needs to run a full blockchain node. And that is something that we're, we're working on actively to try to remove the need, right? So, you know, if all you need to run is a packet forward or a light packet forwarder, um, it then, you know, sky's the limit or really the, the, the floor is the limit in this case on the price. Um, you know, we could, we could see $50, $70 hotspots, um, I think, in the next year or two. So right now, how much does a hotspot cost? Yeah, so it depends on the manufacturer. Um, okay. But you know, 
And so we have a, if you go to helium.com slash mine, um, you know, we have a couple of different manufacturers. Um, you know, you have, uh, Nebra, I think they're, they're sort of in the $400 range. Um, and, and Bobcat, which is a, a Chinese, um, manufacturer, um, who's, uh, initially, um, focused on the Chinese market and the, and the U.S. market, but kind of gonna probably go across Asia. Um, we have Rack, um, uh, and, and then there's a, there's another company called Synchrobit. Um, and I think most recently, um, somebody who submitted an application to join, uh, uh as a, as an official manufacturer is Curlink, who's like well known as one of the, the largest Laurelland, um, hardware manufacturers out there. So Rack and, Rack and Curlink are, are sort of super well known in the space. And, and these others have sort of just more recently come on because of you. So as you get more um, uh, manufacturers on board, you know, the cost of the device, obviously with the, uh, you know, uh, with scaling, you know, it's going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what we're expecting is that the cost will go down um, because of the volume, of course, but also, you know, we expect that um, because we're going to be removing this full minor requirement on these, on these devices, um, you know, you can, reduce the CPU cost of you know, like so just simple compute will be reduced, right? So all you really need is an ECC chip, um, a, a super um, sort of inexpensive uh, CPU um, and a, and a lower end, um, you know, uh, concentrator, like a rack concentrator or something like that. Uh, proof of coverage uh, validates um like there is, there is no, um, let's say helium as a company doesn't have to know the location of uh, anybody. It just validates the location, the, the network validates that and just gives the proof. And once you get the proof, you know, like, you know, these hotspots exist, right? Well, I'm trying to get at like, is this like a location? It's not something like a location data that you guys keep or some for for the users, right? Yeah, and you know the the location data matters um, for the actual device owners, right? So you know knowing that there is coverage in the area matters to um, you know a company that might be having having a GPS sensor in an area, right? Um, because they want to know that they have coverage there. So the the location absolutely matters. And, and, from that perspective, proof of coverage, however, is really about verifying that the location that you say you have is the location that you are, you know, is, is where you are, right? And and that's, um, you know, you mentioned trust minimization, you know, that is that is kind of our goal. Like, you know, Helium Inc. is not issuing challenges. The network is issuing challenges. Um, and it's other hotspots on the network that are creating these challenges today. Um, and, and in the future, you know, we expect our, our validators to be also gen- to, to be generating these challenges. Um, you know, uh, over time, you know, as, as I mentioned, like we want to turn these hotspots into what we call light hotspots. Light hotspots do not need to run the full blockchain node in them. And so if you have uh, light hotspots, they probably won't be able to generate challenges themselves. Um, and so get, because of that, um, uh, because they're not running the full, full blockchain. Um, and so because of that, you know, other, other participants will be generating challenges for them and they'll be broadcasting. Potentially other light hotspots will be listening to them as well. Um, and so, yeah, so at some point we are expecting that every hotspot, including the ones that we already have deployed, will turn into light hotspots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, 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 you know, one of the things that we're working on right now is we're working on moving towards a proof of stake model, right? And so, you know, validators are something that we're planning on launching within the next month or two. Um, and, uh, you know, what those, those nodes will be full nodes running in the cloud, you know, running on big iron or, you know, probably 
not very big iron because you know the the work that these things were running were running on Raspberry Pis before, so you don't need like a a heavy node really. You mentioned the Oracle problem in Helium Network. What could that be? I'm just, I mean, Oracle problem in general. I'm aware of that. But in this particular case, I'm just trying to think of, um, you know, once you have proof of coverage, doesn't that, uh, but yeah, actually you, you have to get data from somewhere, right? Uh, yeah. So fund- fundamentally, the Oracle problem is about how do you bridge data sources from uh, in, in a trust minimized way, right? Like ultimately that, that's what you're trying to do. Um, and you know, for us, it's about location, right? And and so, you know, a, a group of hotspots can all confirm each other's location. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the Oracle problem for us is um, is really how do you bring this external data in, right? So, you know, you could have a group of hotspots all verify each other, but we have no proof that they're all actually, in, you know, where they say they are as a group, right? So, you know, you could have, like, um, you can say that you have a set of hotspots that are in San Francisco, but they, and they might all verify each other. Um, but they might not all be in San Francisco. They could also be you know, somewhere else. Um, and, you know, even though they're verifying each other. And so that's, that's really what we're trying to figure out is, okay, well, it's, it's interesting that you all say you're in San Francisco, but outside of your group, no one sees you. So that's probably a little suspect. We should, we should try to understand that. And so that's actually one of the problems that we're trying to solve is in trying to un- understand our network and, and try to find the cases where, um, you know, uh, so, okay. So yeah, that's very interesting. I, I think a question popped up in my mind just on that is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there's been a couple of different proposals around anchor, uh, the, the specific pr- proposal that's come out is something called anchor gateways. And these are ideas of, you know, you have a sort of blessed gateway. Like we know that this thing is trustworthy because, you know, they are, um, they're really expensive or they're a state or um, maybe the hardware itself is, you know, uh, in, a, in a block of epoxy so you can't get into it or, you know, things like that, which are, which are all like reasonable, you know, ideas. Um, you know, fundamentally, I think the, the interesting thing about those kinds of proposals is that, yes, you can have this one uh, master node or this uh, anchor gateway blessing a set of nodes once, but then, you know, that's the only one time that you know that it, did that verification. Um, I can now take that and go put it in the closet somewhere after as well. So it's still possible to, to, um, to sort of misassert yourself or sort of mischaracterize your, your location or your role in the network. Um, you know, this is an ongoing thing that we are going to probably have to deal with um, forever. It's, you know, I, I think of it more like antivirus. Um, there's never going to be a complete solution. You know, I, I have a background in, in, in fintech and, you know, uh, and, you know, dealing with credit card fraud and like, you're never going to have a hundred percent fraud mitigation, right? You have a, um, with, with all fraud systems, you can have, you know, infinite fraud and, uh, and lose all your money or you can, um, have no fraud and not make any money whatsoever. And so you sort of have to figure out like, what's the slider and what's appropriate. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we need to continue to make it uh, less advantageous to cheat the system than to, um, to then to just be a, a willing participant of the system. And ultimately, like if you provide coverage, you will get paid for it. That is a, you know, the, that is a thing that the network wants to give you. Also, you're moving to proof of uh, stake uh, system and then maybe some sort of slashing would be there for bad actors or yeah, something like that. I'm just guessing. But yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question. Uh, so, uh, okay. Um, 
like how the rewards are sort of distributed, like like token economics. That now I think I saw something called data credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is it not same as the um, your token, the helium token, the HNT token? Yeah, I can tell something. you about the data credits. Um, so, so data credits are essentially, um, you think of it like a, like a cell phone minute, right? So if I have a sensor and I want to be able to send a packet, I want to, and I, I need to spend something, you know, the way to think about data credits, um, is like cell phone minutes, um, uh, you know, in the, in the old days of, or, you know, even current day of using a prepaid phone plan, you can generate these data credits by burning HNT. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a moment, but the idea is that, you know, if I'm a sensor, uh, if I have a sensor, I want to be able to send a packet and I need to pay the network for it and I use data credits to pay for it. And I don't want that price to kind of change over time. I need that to be predictable, right? So, um, so data credits are of a fixed cost. Um, you know, they're, they're fractions of a penny to send a single packet and each packet is 24 bytes on the network today. Um, and so, and that's, that's like ultimately, you know, for people that are deploying, um, actual use cases on the network, they want to know that this is what my sensors are going to cost over the next year. Right? And that's then that's why we sort of created this idea called data credits, um, rather than having them having to spend HMT directly uh, for every packet that's sent. And so that's um, so, so the idea of um uh, of where data credits come to play, you know, really like leads to our token like sort of larger token economics um, around the burn and mint equilibrium. Um, you know, we mint HMT. And the purpose of that HMT is to be burned into DCs, and those DCs are used for for transferring data. And when uh, you know a single DC passes through a hotspot, uh, that hotspot earns HMT again in order to um, and, and you know as as a reward for transferring that data. So you um, you know you guys have been uh, in. Uh... Uh, you know, you guys started like seven years ago, I, I, I believe Helium started, it's been on for seven years yeah. and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think I was researching and I saw that. So, so how big the network has gone since then, like um, coverage, which areas do you cover? I think you also talked about places outside of US as well. Yeah, the you know the story of helium is is is, is interesting. You know, we started off in in twenty thirteen, um, uh, and you know, it initially we were not a blockchain company, and we we're never like this wasn't where we thought we'd end up, um, which is just kind of uh, amazing. The story is is really cool. Um, you know, the team has sort of gone through many different iterations on how to build a network for LoRaWAN devices for 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 IoT devices in general. Um, this sort of Landing on LoRaWAN was actually a relatively recent thing, and the blockchain is actually a relatively recent thing as well. It's only the idea is only about three years old, and the network is only two years old. Um, and so, you know, we launched the network uh, about two years ago, and, and in that time, there's you know over twenty thousand hotspots have been deployed um, globally. Um, I think over three thousand cities globally, um, and I think over fifty countries uh, globally. Um, and at this point, it's uh, you know, we are, uh, because of these new manufacturers that are producing these, this hardware, you know, all, a lot of this growth recently is because of the fact that we've had all these new hardware manufacturers shipping, uh, hotspots, you know, we have, you know, unlocked entire regions, right? So when we started, we started with the United States, um, and then we, um, also started shipping hotspots to the EU, um, and, you know, manufacturers that are coming on are, are, are sort of doing the same thing, you know, should be the United States and the EU, but also shipping to China and, you know, 
plans on Australia and India and Southeast Asia um, and, you know, hopefully soon South America, Africa, everywhere. We, we want to sort of be everywhere that, that people need to be able to serve this data. Yeah, that will, that'll be wonderful. Actually, uh, that'll get uh, some of my friends back there excited, you know, some <laughs> of my uh, IoT engineer friends and, uh, you know, back in India and, you know, the other Southeast Asia subcontinent, you have all the, all the, I think the major guys, big guys on, on board with this. So how do you work with like the ISPs? Like, is there a conflict there or is there like a overlap or like, you know, if somebody's like, if I, after this, I want to get helium um, hotspots and run my own and uh, earn uh, based on that. How does that work with the existing ISPs like Xfinity, at and and you know, the other yeah, and so you know, yeah, with with uh, with a helium hotspot, you're essentially um, you're allowing these IoT devices to use your your home network, right? So you're um, so you're essentially um, you know allowing small amounts of packets to flow through um, the network and and sort of talk and, and sort of reach back to wherever their sort of centralized server might be, right? So you know, if I have a GPS sensor, I need to maybe I have a dashboard somewhere um, in my corporate office that has um, that that can look at all of my devices across uh, across my entire fleet. And so, yeah, so, you know, the way it works with ISPs is you're sort of sharing your, your, your internet um, with these, with these like super low power devices. And so, you know, you're sending a few packets here and there. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we're expecting is, um, you know, today it's a few packets here and there. And over time, um, it becomes all of the possible IoT devices that you might have. Um, the other thing that's uh, that's interesting um, here is, you know, you can we recently open sourced um, there's sort of the front end of this, which is, you know, the front end of this. The way I think about that is the hotspot itself. Um, it, and then there's sort of the back end of this, which is um, a component that we call router. And the and, and the router in this case is responsible for for saying, OK, well, if I see this packet from this device, I want you to send it to this other service over here. And we recently open sourced the router. Um, so now, you know. Uh, until just about two weeks ago, the only two routers that were running were operated by Helium. Now anybody can run a router. And so, you know, in theory, you could actually run a completely private network in your house um, and also uh, earn HNT for it. Or you can, you know, uh, kind of away from the Helium uh, teams for a view if you really wanted to, right? If, if you thought that that was an important thing for your data, you, know, you can have your own hotspots, you can have your own router, and you can have everything sort of route within your sort of private network. Now the data is already encrypted. LoRaWAN already encrypts every packet, but if you also wanted to hide the metadata, you could as well, right? And, and that's sort of a, a, and there's some enhancements that we can continue to make to the LoRaWAN protocol to like make that even more secure. And so, yeah, so, you know, you can, um, you know, with your ISP, you might not even ever hit your ISP. You might do this entirely within your own network. Um, you know, for things like proof of coverage, you would still need internet, right? For right. the blockchain, you'd still need internet. So, so there's still a lot of places where you continue to need internet. Um, but, um, you know, certainly if you wanted to keep your data private um, and uh, and sort of within a walled garden, you, you could you could get pretty close to that. Um, certainly with encrypted messages and your own router, you're entirely within, you know, you're entirely in control now. I think I think what's really interesting about a network like this is about how ubiquitous it is, right? And you know, there's somebody who um, said once that you know the Helium network is the largest contiguous wireless network in the world, and that's like kind of a ridiculous statement, like to just to think about, like you know, if we're completely covering all of the United States, 
completely covering Europe and it's all the same network. That is amazing. What would you like to say to like folks who are um, say now in Asia, Southeast Asia, IoT engineers who perhaps are here in the Bay Area and over there, like uh, why should they build on this network? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think what's interesting about um, a network like this is that it really is permissionless, right? Anyone can add a hotspot. Anyone can add a device. Um, anyone can run a router now, which I'm, again, I'm like super excited about that too. Um, and, you know, anyone can build a network and this is really a network for, you know, we call it the people's network and, you know, you can call that, uh, and, but it's really true, right? It's uh, literally anyone can be a part of this network. And that's, that's something that I think is important um, to countries. Um, you know, I, my family's from India. And so obviously I have a, a very, very strong tie. My, my parents, you know, moved back there um, somewhat recently. Um, and so, you know, I, Having um, you know a country like India be a part of this network is, I think, you know, is, is super important to me personally. Of course, um, you know, obviously, the current um, the current uh, kind of blockchain environment in India is a little uncertain. Um, I'd love for that to be different, um, and I'd love for uh, sort of the politicians of India to understand really the value that, you know, this, a network like this can provide to a country like India that, um, especially in wireless, like, you know, you look at Reliance and Geo and on all these like amazing, like true feats of infrastructure expansion, right? Like, you know, I, uh, I have family that has, you know, very, very poor landline coverage, um, because they're sort of in a small village. Um, but they, uh, but as soon as, you know, a system like Reliance came out, like you just essentially have like you know, normal looking phones, you know, of course, my grandparents um, uh, are used to just sort of normal looking phones that are on your desk, but they happen to have, uh, you know, uh, 3G chips in them. And that's, that's amazing to try to like that. That's a user experience solution to a, a connectivity problem. You know, the Helium team has cared about um, from the beginning is to really make, um, you know, the users, the end users experience seamless, amazing, you know, if you look at our app, like we try to make things as simple as possible for everybody. And I think I said this a little bit before, like, you know, that the grandma to the crypto native should be able to use the Helium network. And we really, really you know, strive for that. Abhi, where can people find more about Helium? Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously helium.com uh, is, is a great starting point. Um, we have a, a really, really uh, well-developed docs site, docs.helium.com, um, where you can start to read um, about the different components in our system. And then, you know, join our community. We have, um, I think, almost as many people on our Discord server as we have hotspots deployed. <laughs> Uh, we oh, have like something like something like six to seventeen thousand people on our Discord server, so discord.gg slash helium. Um, and you know, uh, it's uh, it's really really incredible. We have folks on there who have you know have one hotspot um, and have you know hundreds of hotspots, and uh, some folks have zero hotspots. And like we have sort of the entire range, and you know, everyone's um, you know we're a super welcoming community. We have a, a great set of mods from around the world who. Um, are, are also experts in their own right uh, about this network and, and, you know, and growing. And so, you know, we have a lot of language channels, um, you know, so um, uh, for, for each region. Um, and so, yeah, so really would love to have any of your listeners join us um, on any of those channels. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Abe. Uh, this was really great. I know you took time away from family <laughs> to be on this oh, show. Happy and to, I yeah. wish you the best. And um, uh, we're looking forward to it. And we know that a few manufacturers are already planning on deploying. And um, I can't wait because I, I want to put a hotspot in my parents' house. 
Yes. And and the rest of South, South Asia. Of course. So, of yeah. course. <laughs> 